You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host. Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. This is the last time we will be live on Locker Room until the NFL Draft. It is approximately 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Thursday the 22nd. Next Thursday, I will be doing a live show, but it won't be on Locker Room. It will be on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel. I will be doing it there. I will not be using video, but I really wanted to make sure I had the ability to potentially share my screen in the event that we wanted to do some things that way. I have a guest coming on in addition to that, and a lot easier to do that via YouTube than via Locker Room. So I am going to be live. In addition, I will be able to utilize a web client for that, so the audio should be a little bit better next Thursday. So join me live on Thursday, the... Goodness gracious, well, first day of the draft is the 29th this year. And on Thursday the 29th, join me at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel. It'll be awesome. It'll be legendary. It'll be all the things. So today, we are going to do the final countdown. No, I'm just kidding. We are going to do the final mock draft that is listener-based before the NFL draft. But before we do that, we are going to talk about a topic that I want to talk about specifically in regards to edge rusher. One of the things that I have said a couple different times this draft season when discussing edge rushers is bet on tools. And specifically, I use that phrase to talk about potentially getting an ass, uh, a a, a pass rusher outside the first round, getting a pass rusher that is not going to be a top pick in the NFL draft. What do you do? Well, you bet on tools. And it occurred to me last week as I was thinking about, okay, what are the things that I haven't gotten a chance to talk about? It occurred to me that one of the things I haven't got a chance to talk about was why I even say that thing. Why do I even say bet on tools later in the draft? Why is that even a part of my vernacular? Well, the answer is that it's part of my vernacular because I at one point did a little bit of research on it. So I decided to go back 
and do that same project over again using more updated data and share with you why I bet on tools outside the first round. Why that ideally I'd like to take a pass rusher in the first round, but if I can't get ideal, then at least I'm going to go for tools. So what I did was up the list of the top pressures in the NFL from edge rushers last year. And I went through them and I'm looking for correlations, not just over correlations between drafting position, correlations between tools and athleticism, correlation between first round picks. And I want to share with you some data. Here are some of the people who showed up on the list of the top pressures in the NFL last year. Emmanuel Agba, his RAS score, relative athletic score, was 9.34 out of 10. That's betting on tools for sure. He was a high second round pick originally from the Cleveland Browns. Great fit for the Dolphins. Second round pick, like I mentioned before, has those tools that you really look for, has the length, more of a compression rusher, a great fit in that Brian Flores defense. Shaq Barrett on the list, undrafted, no playing time in Denver basically at all because he was playing behind two really good edge rushers. He comes to Tampa Bay, he blossoms. His RAS score was 3.91, so really low. Carl Lawson, RAS score, 8.94. Round four, really strong, good power rusher. Romeo Okwara, RAS score, 4.89, undrafted. Really long arms, 34-inch arms. Marcus Golden. RAS score 1.99, round two, in a great blitzing system in Arizona. Harold Landry, 9.45, round two. Zadarius Smith, fourth round by the Ravens, RAS score of 3.75. Olivier Vernon, third round, 7.41, RAS score. Trey Hendrickson, big free agent this past offseason, 9.53 RAS round three. Max Crosby, 9.54 round four. Chase Winovich, 8.54 round three. Demarcus Lawrence, second round pick, RAS 5.14. Those are the people who are in the top 30 pressurers in 2020, who were not first-round picks. But 15 of the top 30 were first-round picks. Of the ones who weren't first-round picks, Agba, Lawson, Landry, Vernon, Hendrickson, Crosby, Winovich, all of them had tools, significant tools. The ones who didn't, Demarcus Lawrence was kind of an average athlete, Romeo Quara, an average athlete. And then Barrett, Zadarius Smith, and Marcus Golden were below average athletes. So if you look at the distribution there, most of the people who were in the top of the pressure list who were not first round picks had tools. But actually, it goes deeper than that. Let's look at people who had top 30 in pressures 
in both 19 and 20. Because you could have a good year. Jordan Phillips had a good year, had 10 sacks. But you want sustainability when it comes to pass rush, right? You don't just want someone who has one good year. You want someone who's going to be a big part of your pass rush for a long time. So of that list, who were the top 30 pressurers in 2020, Shaq Barrett, Harold Landry, Demarcus Lawrence, Zadarius Smith, and Marcus Golden were top 30 pressurers in both 19 and 20 who were not first-round picks. The ones who were first-round picks who were top 30 in pressures in both 19 and 20, TJ Watt, Khalil Mack, Cameron Jordan, Miles Garrett, Brandon Graham, J.J. Watt, Bud Dupree. So of the 12 rushers that were top 30 in pressures in both 19 and 20, seven of them were first-round picks. So seven out of 12, that's 58%. Well, Bruce, that seems a little bit low. Okay, let's expand that out a little bit. Let's go 18, 19, and 20. Three years of being in the top 30 in pressures. Okay. J.J. Watt, Demarcus Lawrence, Khalil Mack, Cameron Jordan, Miles Garrett, Zadarius Smith, T.J. Watt, Shaq Barrett, Brandon Graham. All top 30 pressures in 18, 19, and 20. Six out of nine, which is 66%. So 50% of the top 30 pressurers in 2020 were first-round picks. 58% of the players who were top 30 in pressures in both 19 and 20 were first-round picks. 66% of the players who were top 30 in pressures in 18, 19, and 20 were first-round picks. Longevity pushes the needle farther and farther and farther toward first-round players. First-round players also have a high tendency to be high Athleticism players, high RAS scores. So if first-round picks tend to be higher RAS players and first-round picks also tend to apply more consistent pressure over time, you should bet on tools. That's what you should do. More consistent pressure over time leads to more positive plays for the defense. I'm not saying it's impossible for a lack of toolsy player to create consistent pressure. We've seen that. But here's the exception. Shaq Barrett did it for multiple years. Great system in Tampa Bay. Absolutely blossomed. Zadarius Smith, perfect system with the Ravens. Blossomed with Mike Pettin at the time and the Green Bay Packers. These are players. Marcus Golden is in a really, really, really heavy blitz system where he can just shoot runaways in Arizona. So if you're not going to be toolsy, it has to be the right fit. So ideally, I'd like to take a pass rusher in the first round because they have a higher probability of getting pressures over a long period of time. If I can't get that, at least give me someone who's toolsy. If I can't get someone who's toolsy, then I need a great fit. That's how it works. High, toolsy, great fit. Ideally, I would like all three. But if I can't get all three, probably going to take an edge rusher high. And if I can't take an edge rusher high, at least give me someone who's got tools like he was taken high. Because that's what 
people who are taking high in the draft have a tendency to be really toolsy. So those things in combination mean that this is the reason why I come with the conclusion that bet on tools later. It's not impossible to have a good pass rusher that's not toolsy. That's not possible. We've already established that can happen. But things have to go right. Here's the question. How significant is your margin of error? If everything has to go perfect for your prospect to work out, then maybe you shouldn't draft that player. Now, obviously, sometimes you take a swing on some weird traits later in the draft. The Buffalo Bills picked Daryl Johnson in the seventh round with the understanding that he was long and toolsy, and that's the kind of swing you take in the seventh round. I would never bemoan them taking a toolsy player with length, lack of experience, in the seventh round. That's one of the things the seventh round picks are for. Just take this random swing. But if you want to bank on impact pass rush, take one high. If you can't take one high, get a toolsy one. And if you can't get a toolsy one, they better be the right fit. So that's the all-encompassing all point when it comes to pass rushers. And the reason I want to talk about it is because, number one, I've talked about corner pretty much ad nauseum. I spent this morning's podcast talking with Sterling from Cover One about interior offensive line. And then I want to talk about edge. Those are three things that I said were significant needs for the Buffalo Bills. So if I am going to go out on a limb and say these are significant needs and then not follow up with any sort of significant depth on any of those discussion points, then that kind of makes me a jerk. What am I doing? (laughs) I need to make sure that I'm fleshing out these concepts as a content creator because otherwise I'm not giving you anything to provide context to anything that I'm saying. And I'm not going to do that. So we are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to have a couple almighty takes we want to talk about. Then we are going to do a listener mock draft. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We did the discussion on why I would take a pass rusher high if I can. And if I can't, then I'll take him with tools. And if I can't get that, then I better darn well be sure he is a great fit. Now we're going to dabble in some almighty takes that I really want to make sure I get in before the draft. Joanne says, hi Bruce, 
This is Baden from the Dominican Republic. I have an almighty take for you. I believe that the more important than team trade up versus team trade down is team less picks versus team more picks. Let me explain myself. The trade up versus trade down discussion is normally centered on only your first round pick of the draft. I would argue it doesn't matter what you do with that specific pick. It matters more how you use your draft capital as a whole to either end up with more picks or less picks than you originally had. In this scenario, for the Buffalo Bills 2021 draft, I would consider myself team less picks. I would rather have four better picks with a higher chance of making the roster than eight lesser picks, considering how loaded our current roster is. Based on this, can you explain once more the rationale of having more swings in this case? Do you think there's enough time to evaluate a pick between draft day and roster lock day? Or are you assuming you would find a roster spot for all picks, assuming eight, for example? Thanks once again for your great content, helping me understand the game. So I have had the discussion that theoretically I'm team trade down. Now, it's impossible for me to pound the table for a situation that I haven't seen yet. So one of the reasons why I can't pound the table for basically anything when it comes to draft theory that specifically applies to the Bills this draft is because I don't know what the board's going to look like. So I can say, yeah, I'm, I'm against trade trading up. But then Jamar Chase falls to like 29. You're not going to trade up one spot for Jamar Chase? Crazy stuff happens all the time. So I can't say never with some of these things. Some of them are based on theories like never pick a running back in the first round. But as far as specific picks, it's hard to say those things. You can say it with generality, like don't take a punter in the second round. It doesn't matter how good the punter is. The greatest punter prospect in the history of mankind is not going to be somebody I'm going to, take, going to want to take in the second round. It's just not something I'm going to want to do. So for me, when I look at this, the reason why I'm team trade down in theory is because I recognize that the best drafters in the world don't even bat 50%. I understand that batting 50% is a really terrible thing to say because you, you don't bat 50%, you bat 500. That just tells you how much of a baseball guy Bruce is. Super baseball guy, super baseball guy, batting 50%, whatever, shooting 50%, throwing 50%, whatever it is you want to use. So for me, I think that the recognition there is that it's so important to hit on draft picks when you have an expensive top heavy team and the bills don't have one yet, but they're about to, when they re-sign Josh Allen, you're going to have an expensive top heavy team. And it's so important to hit on draft picks. And the thing that helps you hit on draft picks is having more of them. People think that trading up gives you a higher chance of hitting, but there's actually a fair amount of data that indicates trading up really doesn't actually give you a higher chance of hitting. You think it does because you think you're getting a better player. You're not necessarily getting a better player. You're just getting a player you're more confident about, which is the reason why you traded up for him. But the draft it isn't a crapshoot. I'm not going to say that because that feels like it takes all scouting out of it. But there is an element of randomness to the draft. And so when it's super important that you hit on picks, you need more of them to make sure you're hitting at a rate that will help you sustain the bottom part of your roster. We talked a little bit last week, and I mentioned on Twitter, that one of the best values in sports is 
a good player on a rookie contract. Even if you drafted a running back at 30th overall, they would come in as the 27th paid running back in the league. If you draft a corner there, they're the 60th paid corner in the league. That's tremendous value if that person ends up being good. And if you're going to have a bunch of people who are getting paid a lot of money, you need to have as many human beings as possible who are good, who are not being paid a lot of money. And that's the reason why in this stage in the life cycle, I am team trade down. Do I think that eight picks could make this team? Maybe. But there are plenty of places where a starter could be upgraded. In addition, I'm completely fine with trade down and then trade up again. Trade down from the first and then trade up from day three to get as many picks in the top 100 as humanly possible. I like that because you get the benefit of a cheap contract, but you're also getting a, a player who's not necessarily a, a, it's not a throwaway pick. You know, it's not a conditional seventh. It's not, I did a little discussion when I was on a locker room, I think last week or the week before, where we went through the sixth round picks a couple of years ago and like none of them were any good. I think Russell Gage from Atlanta was the most successful sixth round pick. It's just really, really low. So I'm all about compressing those picks. So I don't think it's just about more picks or lesser picks. I think it's where the picks take place because the reason why you want the picks is not necessarily because you want more of them. It's because you want cheaper picks because that's the benefit of draft picks. It's the cost, not opportunity cost or capital cost, the dollars. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to do those things to the draft. It's one of the reasons why I'm always going to be team trade down during certain life cycles of the team. Now, I don't think Brandon Bean is going to trade down. When he said in his press conference, if there's a good player there, we're not going to trade down. I'm sitting here going, what? So if you trade down and pick a player, you're just telling that guy he's not good. Is that what you're saying? So that to me tells me he's not going to trade down. So I always wondered how much of Gettleman rubbed off on Brandon Bean. And I think that's one of the pieces that rubbed off on Brandon Bean. The whole, I'm not going to trade down. So, Don. Don says, Dear Bruce, my almighty take, while the Bills would benefit from adding a talented edge rusher, since no edge rusher drafted in the last quarter of the first round has been a solid contributor in the recent decade, if an edge rusher were to fall to pick 30, they would not be worth a first round pick. Therefore, if a cornerback worthwhile of the 30th pick is not available, the best course of action would be to trade down rather than pick an edge rusher. Love the pod and the way you think and lay out your hypothesis and proof. One of my favorite podcasts of yours is still taking the L. It's a philosophy that has done well for me for many years, and it was rewarding to hear it described so eloquently. It inspired me to design a training for my coworkers based upon this philosophy. Sincerely, Don. Don, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed taking the L. One of the great things about being Bruce is that I don't have to care if I'm wrong. You just own it and move on. I, I don't take any sort of significant identity from being right all the time. I'm going to be wrong all the time. It's going to happen all the time. The only thing I can do for you is always explain why in a logical way. And if I end up being wrong, so be it. You move on. I don't take it personally when I'm wrong. I don't get embarrassed when I'm wrong. Because I don't take any identity or pride in being right. Being right's cool. I mean, it's, it's fun, I guess, to be right occasionally. But nobody's going to be right all the time. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to do a 32-team seven-round mock, and I'm going to get 
190 picks wrong. Like, it's just the way it is, you know, maybe more. It's just, that's just the way it goes. And that's okay. So about your almighty take, I don't think that the edge rushers that are drafted in the last quarter of the first round, not being solid contributors, means you shouldn't take one. I think that really what that means is that the really good ones have a tendency to go high. The ones that are slam dunk picks, the Miles Garretts of the world, the Khalil Max, the Bosa brothers, they go in the top five. I think it's just really important you get good fit. Now, I mentioned in my discussion just a few minutes ago about this, that there are players who were taken in the first round, not necessarily all that, all that high. TJ Watt, of course, was an edge rusher. Now he's classified as a linebacker, right? Cameron Jordan, Brandon Graham was taken in the middle of the first round, right? Bud Dupree was not a high pick. These are players who have been consistently good, but they just weren't in the last quarter. The last quarter is only eight picks. So if you go nine picks, is that better now? So I recognize that there are opportunities there for improvement, but I just think it's important to get a good fit. And I do think that the drop-off between the high athleticism toolsy pass rushers that you get in the first round and the remainder of the draft, I think that matters. So I'm not, I'm not out of it at all when it comes to drafting a pass rusher at 30, trading up a couple spots for him, trading back a couple spots, which I don't think we're going to do. So I'm cool with all of it, to be honest. And I don't think that's going to like dismiss my idea for that. Adam says, Bruce, I have two draft takes for you. One of them's fun and one of them serious. First, my fun almighty take for the draft. Brand Bean, for the second year in a row, stops a presumed top prospect's fall down the draft boards at 30 when he selects Devonta Smith, wide receiver from Alabama on day one, preventing him from falling into the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. Smith shows every team who passed on him that it's better to separate and be open than to be big and wins offensive rookie of the year. Now, the serious one, which I think is more likely. Bean trades back on day one and day two for future draft picks. No ETN, no CB2 until late day three. Everyone leaves mad and unfulfilled. National analysts trash the Bills for not going all in right now, and Bills fans feel frustrated they didn't do enough to improve. No one notices that the stockpile of future draft picks coincide with the first year of Josh Allen and Tremaine Evans' massive new contracts and the expected extension that Ed Oliver will sign the following season. Thanks, Bruce. Keep up the good work, Adam. Okay, first off, if Devonta Smith falls into the mid-20s, I'm on the phone to trade up. I am. Even if you think he's only a slot receiver at the next level, I just went off on a tangent for like two months about how Cole Beasley is 33 and coming off a broken leg. So if I'm going to say that, then I'd better darn well be on board with Devonta Smith being a player that you're willing to have a discussion with. Great hands, great ability to separate, consistently beat press at the next level. I don't know why people think he's just a slot receiver. Because one of the things that makes you just a slot receiver is your inability to get off press. One of the reasons why people think Isaiah Hodgins is a big slot receiver is because we didn't see him get off press well in the Pac-12 at Oregon State. Devontae Smith can burn SEC corners in his release package. So for me, I would be completely fine trading up a couple spots for Devontae Smith. Now, 
in regards to the trading back, I already said, I don't think Bean's trading back. You know, I thought that if ever there was a year to do it, this was the year to do it. And so I understand where your take is coming from, Adam, because if ever there was a time you would want to do it, this would be the time. But after Brandon Bean's comments, I'll level with you. I just, I'm not sure he's ever going to do it. I just don't think it's in his DNA. He doesn't want to miss out on a good player. So I would say it's highly improbable. Adam says, Bruce, I'm not sure this take fits exactly in your episode format. This isn't quite the thing that could be labeled uh, probable, improbable, but anyway. I thought I would propose a slightly modified order of positional importance than the one you described recently on Joe Marino's podcast. One perhaps even more dogmatic in its view of the NFL as a passing league. Here is his, his grouping. Quarterback one, outside wide receiver one, outside cornerback one, free safety, strong safety, outside cornerback two, outside wide receiver two, wide receiver Y, defensive end one, left tackle center, three check, outside linebacker, middle linebacker, nickelback, defensive end two, right tackle, interior offensive line one, interior offensive line two, tight end, one tech, running back. So he said that the order was heavily influenced by PFF's positional war metric. War is an acronym that stands for wins above replacement. Now, when it comes to my opinion on this, I think right tackle is too low. And I think right tackle is too low because I think we've existed in a, in a society here with the NFL that has really prioritized left tackles because that's where the best pass rushers were. And that's no longer the case. Good pass rushers are all over the place. They get moved around. They rush from the offense's right side. I think right tackle and left tackle are equally valuable when it comes to positional importance. And when it comes to interior offensive line, I think interior offensive line, either side of them, is just as important as center. Now, one of the things that Adam pointed out is that the Bills just had the best offense in the history of the franchise with just guys. That's true. But it's still held back. The Bills' offense was a decent pass-blocking unit and a below-average run-blocking unit. They had the best offense in the history of the franchise due to Josh Allen and the wide receivers, which is why I would agree that wide receivers are more important in general than the offensive line in totality, but I think guards are too low. I agree with tight end one tech and running back being low for sure, but I can't, I just can't get behind right, right tackle that low. I just, I just can't do it. All right, moving along. We are going to do the one last almighty take we have, and then we are going to get into the draft. So if you are listening to me live on locker room and you would like to make a pick, make sure you hit the button at the bottom of the locker room app that says request to speak, go ahead and get in line. And I will take you one at a time when the opportunity comes for you to make the pick. But while you are getting in line for that, Jeremy says, Bruce, my question has to do with cornerbacks and length as a desirable trade. I will admit, I don't get it. When it comes to linemen, it totally makes sense. They're operating in close quarters in a relatively confined space, which is the pocket. And so a couple extra inches of arm length goes a long way. No pun intended. But when you're talking about corners, the amount of space they cover would seem to mitigate the advantage of length. Closing speed seems much more important than having arms that are two inches longer than average. Is there a sliding scale? If you're a 4'3 guy, is length less important compared to a 4'6 guy? 
where does the paradigm start to shift? I know you hate talking about corners. I was guaranteed tongue-in-cheek, but please indulge me. I'm genuinely interested. So this is the reason why I care about length for corners. Do you remember when you were younger and you had a sibling, you were the older sibling or you were the younger sibling? And the older sibling would take the hand and stick it out and put it on the forehead of the younger sibling who would then try desperately to swing his arms, but his arms weren't quite long enough to be able to connect with the older sibling. This, this put up your Dukes, nah, 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 I actually got you. This right here is the reason why length is important as a corner. Because I want to be able to jab you and press and not have you be able to easily keep me off you. Because if your length isn't good enough, press becomes problematic for you as a corner. Now, it's not the only thing that matters in regards to press. But if you have good ideal length, you can actually get away with not necessarily having the best foot quickness in your press technique. The other reason why length matters for corners is at the catch point. When you are getting stacked by a receiver, that extra two inches of length can be the difference between a completed pass and a pass breakup. So it's important in press and it's important at the catch point. Now, all the things in between, it's not as important about what you just said. Your ability to stay in phase, your ability to have good quickness, your ability to stay on the backside hip of the receiver, all that stuff is not determined by your length. It's determined by your waist down, not your waist up. But at the very beginning of the play, let's assume you're in press. At the very beginning of the play and at the catch point, it matters. Think about it like a sandwich, right? Top bun, bottom bun, middle. Top bun and bottom bun are length. Middle is bottom half of your body. It's your hips. It's your ankle flexibility. It's your foot quickness. That's the best way to think about it, in my opinion. So we are going to do the final Bruce exclusive mock draft with listener input of the season. Because next week we might get to it, but I won't be able to have you live on Locker Room to chat with you. Instead, I'll take your comments in the YouTube channel when that happens. So we're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. And I am going to bring the first person on and we're going to get started. Matt, you are on with Bruce. How you doing, dude? Matt, can you hear me, man? Oh, yeah, I can hear you. How you doing, dude? Good, good. How are you? It's a party. I'm fantastic. It's a party, man. It's a party all the time. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the mock draft simulator at thedraftnetwork.com. We are going to go to seven rounds. Again, the rules are no trades. And we're going to start up the machine. You may be shocked to see here this, Matt, but Trevor Lawrence actually went number one overall. That's very shocking. I mean, I, I, I'm personally floored. Are you floored? Uh, literally, literally floored. Well, I think we have to start over now. I think my entire board is broken now. Okay, here we are. We're at pick 30, and here are your available players. Najee Harris, Joe Tryon, Trevon Merrig, Travis Etienne, Jason Owe, Javante Williams, Landon Dickerson, Kadarius Tony, Eric Stokes, 
Samuel Cosme, Terrace Marshall, Liam Eichenberg. Is there anybody you want me to look out for that I didn't mention, or are you good with someone on that list? Uh, is Caleb Farley there? Because if he's there, he's the pick. Mm. All right, give me a second. Let's pull it up. I don't think he's there. He is not there. Who he is the not corners? there. Looks like Farley went 19 to the Washington football team. Who, who are the corners? Eric Stokes, Kelvin Joseph, Aaron Robinson, Asante Samuel Jr., Elijah Molden, Ifeatu Melifonwu, Tyson Campbell, Paulson Adebo, Benjamin St. Just. Uh, is is Ojolari there? Ojolari got taken at 23 by the New York Jets. Uh, oh, those jerks. All right, I, know, I guess right? we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go Stokes. Okay, Eric Stokes. So was this a best corner on the board pick for you? Well, yeah, it was either Ojolari or best corner because Farley and Newsom are, are gone. So, but Bruce, I'm with you. We need we need the we need the corner. Now it seems to me like you would have taken Ojolari if he was there, right? Yeah, I would have. I would have. So give me an example. Give me some names of some edge rushers that you would take over a corner if they're there. Is it just Ojolari? Was it was Quiddy Pay on the list? If Quiddy Pay was there, would you have taken him? You know, I don't know much about Quiddy Pay, so I can't say definitively, but I mm-hmm. watch the others. Okay. So and, it seems you know, like Joe, me. Joe Marino's you, a smart guy, too. You know, he talks about him. He's, he's a very smart guy. He, As far as I'm concerned, he's the GOAT. So it seems to me like you were going to go corner unless you had Ojolari. Is that right? Well, uh, yeah. Was, I was going to go Farley, Newsom, then Ojolari. Okay, Farley, Newsom, Ojolari. That would have been my order. I'll level with you. I don't think it's a bad order. Now, obviously, the medical with Farley is, is a concern, but we don't know anything about that. And I love Newsom. The funny thing is we were just talking about Newsom. Newsom doesn't have great length. We were just talking about length and how important it is. But he might have the most fluid hips a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about traits, and we talked about oily hips. If you want an example of what I mean when I say oily hips, just go ahead and Google Greg Newsom's name from Northwestern, and then go hit me up on Twitter, and you will realize that's what Bruce means when he says oily hips. So I feel good about the pick. I feel perfectly fine with Stokes at 30. Dude, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Catch you later. Okay, we are here at 61. Cody, Cody, my man, you are with me. Can you hear me? Cody, can you hear me? me? I can hear you, Cody. Are you ready? Yeah, who's there? Okay, we're at 61. Here are your top available. Nick Bolton, linebacker, Missouri. Deami Brown, wide receiver, North Carolina. Jabril Cox, linebacker, LSU. Brady Christensen, offensive tackle, BYU. Jamar Johnson, safety, Indiana. Pat Fryermuth, tight end, Penn State. Tommy Tremble, tight end, Notre Dame. Brevin Jordan, tight end, Miami. Quinn Miners, interior offensive lineman. Milton Williams, interior defensive lineman. Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle. Richie Grant, safety, UCF. Tommy Togiai, nose tackle, Ohio State. Nico Collins, wide receiver, Michigan. What do we think here? Do you want me to go looking for anybody else? 
Uh, could you check interior offensive line? I certainly can. Dude, this, this is your show, dude. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> you tell me to search punter, I'll search, search punter. I'll do it under protest, but I'll <laughs> still do it. Okay, so interior offensive lineman. Here's what we got. Quinn Miners, Josh Myers, Ohio State, Ben Cleveland, Georgia, Trey Smith, Tennessee, Deontay Brown, Alabama, Aaron Banks, Notre Dame, Kendrick Green, Illinois, David Moore, Grambling, Drew Dahlman, Stanford. You know, I think I got to go Jabril Cox here. Okay. I think the so value is like, really too I good. I like it. Tell me why you think the value is so good for Jabril Cox. I've just been seeing him mocked in like the late first and like early second. So to get him in the, at the end of the, the tail end of the second, I just think the value is way too good there. What do you like about Cox as far as the things you think he can do well that you think, gosh, you know, the Bills could use somebody like that? Well, you know, I think with um, – Let's see. I, I don't know. I just think he's going to be a big run stopper. And I just think that with, um, like, oh, my goodness. Well, so we're, we're keeping Matt Milano, but with um, – <laughs> I can't I, – I, he's escaping me. Who, who are, who's on contract? Uh, his contract's coming up. Tremaine Edmonds is no, – has his fifth-year option. AJ Klein's contract AJ will be Klein, up. Yeah, we're, yeah, AJ Klein. I can't believe I forgot his name. But yeah, no, I think with AJ Klein, I think he could be a big AJ Klein replacement. Get him out, and uh, because well, we have a pretty good option to get out of his contract next year, correct? Yes, AJ Klein has signed a three-year deal, but really, it's a two-year deal. Like yeah. your opening to get out of the AJ Klein contract is at the end of the 2021 season. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just think that you bring in Jabril Cox, and he's just a great compliment, and he doesn't have to be put in right away. I mean, with AJ Klein still there, but I think just after this year, he could just be plug and play. Okay, Cody, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So the interesting thing for me about Jabril Cox is that I think that we all talk about Jeremiah Wusukoromo as being that versatile coverage sub-package to pl- player. And then Jabril Cox is known for his coverage ability at LSU. So I think it's really funny that you could like be really excited about Jeremiah Wusukoromoa and then be like, meh, about Jabril Cox. Because I like Jabril Cox. Now, I don't think that that's that high of a need, but 6'3", 233, somebody who can handle tight ends in the slot, he can handle slot receivers, he can handle running backs. This is a modern NFL linebacker. This is a pass defense first linebacker who I don't think is necessarily a thumper by any means, but he's got a great motor. And if you have someone who's got a great motor and plays well in space, that's kind of the new modern NFL linebacker. So you can look at him like an AJ uh, Klein replacement. You can look at him as a potential hedge against Tremaine Edmonds. You can look at him as a versatile sub package to pl- player. You can look at him as a lot of different things. I don't hate it, to be honest. We got an inside player with Cox. We got an outside player with Stokes. So I'm completely cool with it. We are sitting here at 93, and I've got, I've got a familiar face, or in this case, a familiar voice on the line with me. If you listened to today's podcast of the Bruce Exclusive, you will have heard me on the line with Sterling from Cover One. And he and I had a wonderful chat about interior offensive line. And now here he's back with me. Sterling, how you doing, dude? 
You know, I don't get enough of you, Bruce. You know, that's why I'm here right now. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit like when you go on that date with the girl and then she texts you and you're like, yes, totally nailed it. Totally nailed it. She texted me. That's how I'm feeling right now. You must have enjoyed your time with me or you wouldn't have hopped on. Hey, it's ebony and ivory, man. What you saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes. All we need is a piano now to make that happen. I don't know. If, I don't know if the listeners are old enough for that joke or not, but we need a piano to be able to play in jointly and, and sing into it. It'll be great. So here's who we got on the table right now for you. Sterling, pick 93. Dwayne Eskridge, wide receiver, Western Michigan. Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver, USC. Michael Carter, running back, North Carolina. Kenneth Gainwell, running back, Memphis. Kellen Mond, quarterback, Texas A&M. Trey Sermon, running back, Ohio State. Hamsa Nasruddin, safety, Florida State. Marlon Tupeloto, interior defensive lineman, USC. Jay Tufele, interior defensive lineman, USC. Cameron McGrone, linebacker, Michigan. Elijah Griffin, cornerback, USC. Kyle Trask, quarterback, Florida. Talk to me. What do you want to see? Uh, is uh, Tyler Shelvin still available? Let's see if he's still here. Let's go interior defensive line here. Shelvin is available. He is listed under Jay Tufele and Marlon Tuipuloto. So Aline McNeil and Tyler Shelvin, both very, very common picks, in addition to Marvin Wilson also being there and to Daryl Slayton. So we have our choice of one text, whoever we like. Hmm. You know, I see, that's tough. It's either between uh, Shelvin or, or uh, Nasruddin. Now, you know, if we got go Jabril ahead. Cox, if we got Jabril Cox, do you see him as that sub-package player that makes Hamza Nasruddin a little bit more redundant? Or do you think Hamza Nasruddin's actually a safety, in which case it's not redundant at all? Well, he's a positionless player, and so he he's a matchup nightmare. I mean, you kind of have to look at, you know, somebody who reminds you of Derwin James, uh, Hamza brings all that to the table. Just maybe not as uh, a supreme athlete as Derwin James is, but you have a guy that, that is completely positionless, um, and he's a playmaker. That's what I like about Hamza a lot, is that his ability to make plays on the ball, uh, you know, and from from a safety position, he can play in the box. I think, you know, Jabril Cox is more of your uh, – he's, he's more of a safe pass coverage guy. But I think you can stick somebody like Hamsa, you know, let's say if Micah Hyde or Jordan Porter get hurt, you know, he can he can play safety in the pinch. So that's what makes him more valuable, in my opinion. And you know McDermott likes his possession – I mean, uh, position flexibility. So, you know, let's, let's go with Hamza here. Now, see, the thing I like about this draft so far is that we added – elite coverage and athleticism to this defense. We added Stokes, who runs in the four twos and is known as being a man corner. We added Jabril Cox, who is a coverage linebacker. We added Hamza Nasruddin, who is a positionless sub-package defender, who would probably play safety for the Bills in three safety looks, but then come down and play over the slot. I think that if you say the Bills' pass defense needs to improve, this is a heck of a way to go. So, Sterling, anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? You know, I do like uh, the idea of getting a, a run stuffer, one, a true one-tech 
You know, I'm not sure. I know we put a lot of stock into uh, Starla Tule, but I just don't know how he's going to fare. So I, I definitely would be looking at a guy like uh, Marvin Wilson later around, you know, four or six. He could still be there. I understand completely. Well, let's see if Marvin Wilson's still here. And let's see. You were making your pitch for the next guy. You're making your pitch for the next guy to take Marvin Wilson. Let's see if he listens to you. Let's find out if he, <laughs> he heeds, heeds the wisdom of Sterling or not. All right, man. I'll catch you later. Okay, moving along. Luke, my man. We are sitting here at pick 161, and we've got some things to discuss. Luke, are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Here's who you have for you. You have Tadaryl Slayton. You have Kairos Tonga. You have Bobby Brown the third, and that's your prerogative. You have Naquan Jones. You have Carlo Kemp. You have Mustafa Johnson. Here are the, those are the interior defensive line. If you expand it to all, you still have Dalen Hayes, Edge from Notre Dame, Chuba Hubbard, running back Oklahoma State, Joshua Kando, if you still want an edge, who's from Florida State, Rashad Weaver from Pittsburgh, Chauncey Golston from Iowa, Joshua Bledsoe from Missouri, who's a safety, Jonathan Cooper, who's an edge from the Ohio State University. I can say that because now Sterling is back. Sterling's back in the in the audience now, so I can Shout say the wife. Ohio State because he's a Michigan person. So, Caden Stearns, safety from Texas, JV and Hawkins, running back Louisville. What do you like? I mean, I, I, I like interior offensive line, I think. Okay. Let's see who um, we got there at interior offensive line. Remind me of who we took already. We've taken Eric Stokes, cornerback out of yes. Georgia. It's, it's all. Then it's we all took D. Jabril Cox, linebacker out of LSU. Then we took Hamsan Nasraldeen, safety out of Florida State. Hmm. And the interior defensive linemen, you, you told me those already, right? Yeah, no worries. Interior defensive line, we got to Daryl Slayton, Kyrgios Tonga, Bobby Brown, Naquan Jones, Carlo Kemp, Mustafa Johnson, Darius Stills, Forrest <clears throat> right. Merrill. And then the interior of the offensive line? Interior offensive line, we have Tommy Kramer from Notre Dame, Jack mm-hmm. Anderson, Texas Tech, Drake Jackson, Kentucky, Tristan Hodge, BYU, Samuel Cooper. I think I want to go uh, DT. Okay, you're going to go defensive tackle. Who are you going to take? Uh, give me the first two guys again. To Daryl Slayton and Curious yeah. Tonga. You're taking Slayton? Slayton, Slayton, yeah. Anthony Marino would be very happy with you. Yeah, Michael Padre at Buffalo Rumblings. He's a big – he is a big <laughs> to Daryl Slayton guy. So let me ask you this. So you took to Daryl Slayton, who is unquestionably a one-tech, right? Some yes. people think he might actually be a zero-tech and a three-four. He is a plugger. How important do you think that position is to the Bills? I think it's, it, I think it's uh, a very sneaky need for us because – we don't know what star is going to look like when he comes back. And obviously Harrison Phillips hasn't lived up to the potential. And uh, we've got maybe one year, even if star does look good with him before we let him go. Uh, and uh, it's the same as anything. We got to look for sustained success. It's not just about this year. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I, I'm looking at with that, with that pick. 
I'm glad you brought that up. It's one of the things that we talk about a lot leading up to this draft process is that right now, one tech, in my opinion, is the weakest position on the team. You have Star Latule, who, if he returns to form, will return to reasonable player. So you have got somebody who might be a reasonable player, but basically has no untapped potential left. And then you have Harrison Phillips, who I think has been overly disappointing for the Bills. So that's it. That's all you got. Vernon Butler is kind of a mixed hybrid, and he wasn't overly effective at any of the positions he played last year. Mm -hmm. So I think one tech's the weakest position on this roster. I think that – I know we get sick and tired of seeing Tyler Shelvin in the third round and to Daryl Slayton in in the fifth and things like that. But there's a reason we keep seeing it. The reason we keep seeing it is because I think there's an understanding that it's a weak part of this team, and it's only going to get weaker. It's not like there's some, well, we have a developmental piece there that we're really optimistic about. Maybe if we just give it a little bit, he's going to turn the corner. There is no future hope in regards to that position because even if Starla Tule comes back and captures form, he tops out at reasonable. And I don't think there's any hope at this point that suddenly Harris Phillips is going to turn into an impact dominant player who you're definitely going to want to extend to another contract. So I understand that some people might get fatigue when it comes to the Tyler Shelvin, Aline McNeil to Daryl Slayton discussion. But I applaud you for just saying, you know what? No, it's a need. We need it. We're going to take it. It's the same reason, you know, people get upset about picking a, a slot receiver in the mid to late rounds. When we have when our when our receiver room is so stacked right now, it's going to be a need in a year, two years, with with these guys aging and on one year contracts. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. It's it's one of those things where, and the funny thing is, it becomes a need real fast. One pull, everyone's like, oh, whatever, and they just assume that everything is going to be perfect all the time. One knee injury. And all of a sudden, things look a lot different. If you have one injury to a one tech, you're in deep trouble. If you have one injury to a wide receiver, you might be in deep trouble, depending on how Gabriel Davis develops. So if you have one injury to a running back, we're fine. So that's one of the reasons why I think depth is so important. So I applaud you for doing it. Luke, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you hanging out with me. Bruce, we're always partying, man. Me and you. Always. (laughs) Cheers, bud. Catch you later. You too. Moving along, we are sitting here at pick 174, and there are some names here, ladies and gentlemen. There are some names to talk about, and sweeps week, we got Jack on the line with me. Please don't fire me, Jack. I won't. Please don't knock a sandwich out of my hand. I won't knock a sandwich out of your hand. It'll be great. Sound good? Absolutely. All right, dude. We're here at 174. Joshua Kando. Edge, Florida State. Chauncey Golston, Edge, Iowa. Mm. Joshua Bledsoe, Safety, Missouri. Jonathan Cooper, Edge, Ohio State. Caden Stearns, Safety, Texas. Daz Newsom, Wide Receiver, North Carolina. Anthony Schwartz, Wide Receiver, Auburn. Josh Palmer, Wide Receiver, Tennessee. Shai Smith, Wide Receiver, South Carolina. Josh Amadabebe, Wide Receiver, Illinois. Shaka Tony, Edge, Penn State. What do we like? I I think I like um, – oh, geez, he just, his name just slipped my mind. Uh, the first wide receiver you mentioned there? Uh, Daz Newsom is the first Daz wide receiver. Newsom. There you go. Yep that's, the, yep, that's the one. Okay, so yeah. you think Daz Newsom is a slot guy? I do, and I also like okay. his return ability. 
Okay. So starting slot receiver, punt returner down the line. Let me ask you, are you concerned about the athletic testing with Daz Newsom? Uh, honestly, a little bit. And that's almost why I moved towards Schwartz instead of Newsom. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I think, I think Schwartz is going to be a little bit quicker. Um, but I, I also, I don't, I think that from everything I've been seeing and reading that Newsom just seems to have a little bit better understanding of his routes and stuff and his, and his uh, ability to get open. Now, so one of the things I want to talk about real quick while I have you on the line here with Daz Newsom pick is that Daz Newsom and his, his RAS score, his testing, right. Mm -hmm. is a little bit concerning. I want to, I want to go back and I want to chat a little bit with, old Bruce when it comes to the current Bills starting slot receiver. And that is Cole Beasley. So Cole Beasley didn't exactly light up the scoreboard hmm. when it came to RAS score. We think he did, but he really didn't. His vertical jump and his broad jump were really good. But everything else was really bad or just eh. In fact, the agility portion of his score, very poor. The short shuttle and the three cone, the things that we think of Cole Beasley, we think he's agile, right? We think he's quick. Sure. That's what we think. Absolutely. Scored like garbage. His, wow. His relative athletic score was 4.93 overall, which is markedly below average. Now, it wasn't as bad as Daz Newsom. Daz Newsom was 2.18. Wow. And, but he had he had the explosion grade as the highest part of his grade. Cole Beasley also had the explosion grade as the highest point of his grade. So I'm not You're saying me feel better. I'm not saying they're the same player. I'm just saying that there's still hope for people who are not great athletes. I just feel a lot better taking Gaz Newsom in the back half of the fifth or the sixth round than Mm -hmm. I do in the third. And that's where I was seeing him a lot before the last couple of weeks. So if you want to spend the back half of the fifth round pick, you know, on Gaz Newsom, you know, so be it. He's got great hands. I love his tape. He's so much fun to watch. And you might come back. And so I want to prepare you guys in the event that someone says to you, say I post this, okay, on Twitter, right. and mm-hmm. someone comes up and goes, who the heck made the Daz Newsom pick? That guy, that guy isn't even an athlete. What you can say is, listen, I recognize that. Cole Beasley wasn't a great athlete either when it comes to his position. Where so, was Cole Beasley drafted? Cole Beasley was undrafted. That's what I thought. Cole Beasley was undrafted out of Southern Methodist in 2012. And he also didn't have the size that that uh, Daz Newsom has. Daz Newsom is 5'10", 190. Cole Beasley, 5'7", 175. Yeah. So Daz Newsom's hand size, let me, let me pull that up real fast for you. I don't think he got his hand size measured because he didn't go to the combine. I was going to look up the hand and arm length, but that doesn't show up for Daz because he didn't go to the combine. So I apologize for misleading you that I was going to be able to find that, but I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't end up finding it. But all the point is to say that I hope I'm well equipping you to be able to defend that pick when you go into public and Absolutely. have that conversation. Because listen, if you pick Daz Newsom in the second round or the top of the third, I'm going to get mad because that's not the spot to take 
bad athletes whose film are fun. Sure. Do you know where you take bad athletes whose film is fun? The fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. That's right. where that's where the Bills took Jaquan Johnson. Jaquan Johnson, go back and watch some Jaquan Johnson at the University of Miami. So much fun to watch his tape. He's just not a good athlete. Our Darius Robinson this year is the same way. So much fun. Just not a good athlete. So I'm completely cool with playing those, taking those players because worst case scenario, you probably get a heck of a special teams player. And I'm okay right. with that. So that's my, that's my little spiel on Daz Newsome. I recognize that he's not a great athlete. And there are probably a lot of other receivers I'd rather have. But that doesn't mean it's a terrible pick. So I wanted to make sure that I was well equipping you to be able to defend the Daz Newsome pick in public in the event that you wanted to. Well, I appreciate you looking out for me, Bruce, and I'll uh, definitely keep that in mind during sweeps. You know what? I appreciate that. Just make sure that when there's, you know, a scandal at the mayor's office that I'm the one who gets it. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, can I give you a sidebar real quick? I don't know if you'll have a chance to talk about it or not, but sure, dude. Um, Joe Marino uh, does awesome work, and so does his team at the Draft Network. They're, they're amazing. In the last couple of days, I've been playing around with the mock draft, and I've seen ETN slip down to be available in the second round for us. And I was just wondering what your opinion was on taking him in the second round and why you think the mock draft has changed and that he's being available in the second round now, like so late in the second round. I think one of the things that's happening is that if you use the TDN predictive board, it changes all the time. And it changes based on what they're hearing about where the league feels on these players. So you can use the TDN predictive board or you can use the TDM consensus board. And that's different. This is It's where we think they'll go versus where we think they should go. And those things are different. So when you use the predictive board, that stuff changes based on what they're hearing about players and the things that they feel like the NFL will have them ranked a certain place. So gotcha. I think one of the things that's interesting about the running back class is we have always assumed that two running backs were going to go in the first Travis Etienne would go in the first round which I always thought was kind of weird. And I'll tell you why. I think last year's running back class was markedly better than this year's running back class. I thought that the J.K. Dobbins and the DeAndre Swifts of the world and the Clyde edwards and the Jonathan Taylor and the Cam Akers, those top five were way better than the top three this year, which is Najee Harris, Travis Etienne and Javante Williams. And none of them went until 32 when Kansas City decided to get cute and take Clyde over to Lair. Good point. So for me, I, I'm actually not shocked. Uh, would you like a little spoiler for you? I'll give you I'll give you a spoiler because you're here live with me. Let's do it. Let's, let's I get am the working, exclusive. I, this is the Bruce exclusive right here. I am working on my 32 team mock draft seven round or for Buffalo rumblings next week. It's going to be the Thursday pod. It's going to be a, just get ready. It's going to be a marathon, right? It's going to be a long pod because I will go through and explain every single one of the 32 first round picks. And then I'll go through the rest of the draft of the Buffalo bills and explain that stuff. And there'll be a huge article. That'll be a bajillion words on <laughs> Buffalo rumblings.com about it. And so we're going to do that. I've been through a couple different strategies already. And very rarely does a running back go in the first round. And that's not because I'm being like a little schmuck about it and go, running back shouldn't go in the first round. I just think that there's going to be teams this year more so than there ever has been that are risk adverse. 
They're going to take the known quantity. And I think that teams have a tendency to get running backs in the first round and pick them high when they're getting a little cute. And I think teams are probably going to get less cute this year than they've ever gotten. Why? Because they have less information this year than they've ever had. So they probably feel less secure in the medicals and the off the field questions than they historically have. So one of the reasons I think this draft is going to be bonkers is because teams know less now than they've ever known. Brandon Bean lamented this in his press conference. He openly said, gosh, you know, I'm just not satisfied with where these medicals are. I just don't have as much information as I did. And we interpret that as, well, maybe the bills aren't going to take a swing on someone who has medical questions. I interpret that as what's the difference between the bills and every other team in the league. If Brandon Bean's not comfortable with the medicals, probably nobody's comfortable with the medicals. Right. And if you don't have the ability to get, if you don't have the ability to get something that's as easy to get as medicals, can you imagine how difficult it is to get character references on these guys? And you could can't that just be phys- smoke? Exactly. So for me, I think that I think that teams are just going to be less risky. And when it comes to that, they're going to take the sure things. And although you might think that means running back, I actually think they're going to be less cute now than they historically have been. I wouldn't be surprised if all three of the top three running backs came off the board between 33 and 50. That would not shock me at all. In fact, that's where the running backs started to go last year. They started to go at 32, and then a bunch of them were gone. And the Bills had a crack at J.K. Dobbins. They took A.J. Epinesa, and then they were left kind of hoping that Zach Moss would fall to them. And thankfully he did. If you remember correctly, Brandon Bean was thinking about trading up in the third round for Zach Moss. I think he he was trying to. That's my little, that's my little spiel when it comes to um, running backs, Travis Etienne. In regards to your, would you be okay with it? I'd be a lot more okay with it at 61 than I would be at 30. I wouldn't be like over the moon because there's probably going to be a player I like better there, but I would be fine overall. Thanks, Bruce. No problem, Jack. I'll talk to you later, man. Take care. Okay. We're here at pick 213. We're coming to the final countdown here, ladies and gentlemen. We've got Avery Williams, corner, Boise State. Rashad Wild Goose, corner, Wisconsin. Tariq Thompson, Marlon Williams, Brandon Smith, Sage Surratt. I am going to take Avery Williams, cornerback, Boise State here at 213. We've already taken a corner, but we took an outside corner. So for me, I think that even though Avery Williams was an outside corner at Boise State, I think that there's a reasonable chance based on his two-way ability that he's a slot player. So for me, we've added to the coverage here with Stokes, Cox, Dean, and Williams. And if you think coverage is more important than pass rush, which I do, then you did that. I mean, why didn't you take an edge, Bruce? There wasn't an edge I, I liked there as much as I liked Avery Williams. But here I am at pick 236. I apologize, by the way, for sniffling today. I'm fighting somewhat of a little bit of a cold. And I've been fighting it for a little bit. And I've just kind of been worn out. I've been doing a lot of work on the mock draft. And I've been doing a lot of shows. My voice is starting to fail me. 
I just have a little bit of a sniffles. So if you listening to this back and you get some sniffles in your ear, I apologize. I'm doing my best to breathe through my mouth, but then that's drying out my throat even worse. So it's a whole cycle. So I'm sitting here at 2.36. And I'm thinking, gosh, is there even a player that I would want to take a swing on with tools? I'm going to go with motor. Always go with motor. I'm going to take Wyatt Hubert, edge from Kansas State. Just somebody who you just love to watch him. And sometimes, remember I just said that taking players who just are fun to watch and just have great energy and they have a great motor, you just want to take them later in the draft because you know they're going to be good special teams players if I can't get anything else. That's Wyatt Hubert from Kansas State. I think that there is some question with him as to whether he's a 3-4 outside linebacker or a 4-3 defensive end. I think he's a 4-3 defensive end. Um, I think he's pushing pushing 270. So he's not small by any means. So for me, I'm completely cool with that as a swing in the seventh round. So here is the picks. Eric Stokes, cornerback, Georgia. Jabril Cox, linebacker, LSU. Hamza Nasruddin, safety, Florida State. To Daryl Slayton, interior defensive lineman, Florida. Daz Newsom, wide receiver, North Carolina. Avery Williams, cornerback, Boise State. Wyatt Hubert, edge, Kansas State. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. The next time we will talk on the Bruce exclusive, it will be draft day. I am so excited. I am so excited about that. I think that the draft for me is a little bit like Christmas morning. I have a hard time focusing the day before. I'm so excited. I'm like giddy. And then for me, I get like this sadness when it's over on Saturday afternoon about 2 o'clock. I start to get this sadness and sinks in like people do on December 25th at about 3 in the afternoon. And until then, I'm just going to suck up every little piece of joy I possibly can out of the draft season. So given the fact that the next time we're going to talk, it will be the day of the draft. I just want to take an opportunity and say thank you for coming along with me for this ride. I have gotten a chance to interact with a lot of you over the last couple of weeks. I've gotten some notes. I've gotten some messages on Instagram and Twitter, and I've gotten some messages on Reddit. Some of them were not kind. Some of them were kind. But the overwhelming majority of you have been such an incredible blessing to me. I just can't even begin to thank you enough. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I am Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockets.